welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. There's no denying that the coronavirus has proven to be a difficult challenge for many business leaders. But as the situation continues to unfold, many of us are finding the silver lining and adjusting to the future. Some business leaders are even finding opportunities for positive change, seeing this as a watershed moment to transform and emerge stronger. For this edition of Weavers Beyond the Numbers, we'll engage in a lively conversation with outstanding practitioners about the unplanned opportunities presented in 2020. Our discussion will focus on ways that this crisis has helped improve processes and efficiencies within their organizations, and how they will keep the momentum going for the long term. This roundtable discussion is hosted by Weaver CEO John Mackle with a number of financial executives, including Hans Muller, Chief Financial Officer at Brinks International, Mark Novell, Chief Accounting Officer at European Wax Center, Craig Story, Chief Financial Officer at Vary, and Melinda Lawrence, Chief Financial Officer of WorkSoft. I just want to kind of quickly start with introduction and have each one of you tell us a little bit about yourself, the company that you work for, and maybe just a little bit about how you've been affected by the, the pandemic. Um, I'm going to start with Melinda Lawrence. She brings over 25 years of financial experience as the CFO of WorkSoft. Uh, Melinda is responsible for leading the finance and accounting operations, human resources, legal, and IT operations of WorkSoft to prepare the company for its continued growth. So. Melinda, maybe kind of starting with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and the company. Sure. So you talk about how this pandemic affects affects each one of us. So I've never been a work from home fan. Well, as you can tell, I am working from home. It'd be nice to have this big sofa and a dog crate, but that is one thing I've really learned and embraced on the whole work from home, and I can see why people are enjoying it. So just real quick, a little bit about WorkSoft. We are a continuous test automation platform platform for enterprise applications. So we automate the full life cycle of your business processes from discovery to testing to RPA. So we make sure your business processes work and they do it efficiently and effective in one platform. All right, next up will be Mark Novell. He serves as the CAO of European Wax Centers and brings decades of progressive experience leading and building world-class accounting and finance organizations with a strong track record of developing actual insights and improving operational efficiencies. Um, his career also includes experience in cruise, restaurant, and technology industries, as well as serving years as an auditor with one of the large international public accounting firms. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about European Wax Centers and uh, your experience through this pandemic. Thanks, John. European Wax Centers, one of the newer companies to the uh, Dallas Metroplex. We uh, signed our lease in August of 2019 and um, by January of 20, we'd relocated most of our corporate staff from uh, South Florida here to the Dallas Metroplex, uh, just in time for the uh, dawn of the pandemic, I guess you could say. Our business is uh, in the uh, beauty industry, specifically in the out-of-home waxing market. We are a franchisor with over 760 franchise locations all around the country. It really hit us in a pretty pronounced way because since our business is dealing with customers who have to come into our centers and re receive service. Once the 
whole country shut down in uh, late March, we went from a pretty uh, sizable company to a startup overnight. Um, so a lot of nimble work had to be done and uh, forecasts. And I know we'll talk through the whole uh, impacts throughout the, the, the session here, but basic blocking and tackling that you'll see out of accounting teams and finance teams with forecasting, weekly cash flow and daily cash flow. We did have some layoffs and furloughs we went through and uh, thankfully 95% uh, of our network is open now and we're uh, back to semi-normal again. It's still a, a working work in progress, I can say. Sure it is, that's good. All right, next up is Hans Moller. He's the CFO of Brinks. Hans is responsible for the company's all the company's financial functions. His career spans more than 20 years and includes a variety of experience in financial management, business leadership, and corporate strategy. So Hans, I think we all kind of know who Brinks is. Tell us a little bit about the company and yourself and kind of your experience. Good morning, everybody. I mean, um, obviously, I think my, my colleagues already talked about, you know, I mean, the effects of the pandemic. Personally, Actually, what we have seen is no different to what almost everybody has seen. We're a business-to-business, -business, you know, kind of enterprise. So the shrinkage on the market has affected us, you know, substantially. Although we have seen some sort of a recovery lately. But um, I think I, I believe that since we serve, you know, a plethora of companies through the cash management or through the cash cycle, we also have seen, you know, or we are highly correlated to what's really happening in the economy, right? I, again, I, I don't think our experience is different. It's, it's a lot of, I mean, driving to the details, the forecasting, you know, I mean, and again, like Melinda mentioned, I'm not a friend of working from home, but uh, we are over 500 people in the building, so you cannot have all of them together. The probabilities are, you know, mind-boggling you know to to get it so yes it has been a change and i i look forward to you know to to address you know the positive things as well so i, I started with the negative ones just to you know lead the way for craig now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's perfect and we're trying to make this the 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 positive things that have come out of pandemic but we all know that there's a lot a lot of negatives so indeed um, i'll go to craig next so craig's story is the CFO of Very. Uh, Craig's goal is to create an efficient and productive environment with a healthy bottom line to further the company's mission of creating active workspace. Craig oversees the accounting, finance, and educational teams for Very. Since joining the company in 2014, Craig has refined the company's logistics, opened new lines of business, both virtual enhancing and the customer experience. So, Craig, tell us a little bit about Very and yourself and uh, what you guys have experienced. Yeah, so uh, thanks, thanks, John. Morning, everybody. So Very is uh, a workspace innovation company with a mission uh, to create uh, workspaces that elevate people. And we started out with the now somewhat ubiquitous desktop converter called Veridesk and that we've sold to over 3 million people globally, uh, 3 million fans globally. And um, we have uh, evolved into a flexible workspace solutions company that's selling over 300 products, including movable walls, conference tables, soft seating, everything, uh, lighting, everything you would need to do to create uh, for, for uh, fast-growing companies to create flexible workspaces. In 2018, we expanded into the real estate market, creating a space as a service turnkey 
uh, enterprise solution that sits kind of in between traditional real estate and co-working called Verispace. Uh, we have two locations, one in, in Las Colinas that is now uh, full and um, another one in uh, Southlake that just opened in August um, and, we, and it was recently reported that Microsoft is taking over 80,000 square feet in that space. I think you know we've <laughs> we've experienced kind of what ev everybody else has. Um, of course, being in the flexible workspace solutions business, um, you know we've been laser focused on how do we how do we find a way to uh, to get people to safely be able to come back into the office and and I feel really good about <laughs> about what we've done. That's great, Craig. I'm going to go back to you because you guys have been able to pretty successfully transition a lot of your employees back. Um, to the office, and obviously you're also consulting with, with clients. So, um, you know, are the staff required to come back into the office, and how, you know, what process have you kind of gone through to, to get your employees back? So it it actually started kind of before all that when the pandemic first hit, and we sent everybody home. We wanted to make sure that everybody was able to remain productive. So, um, you know, we. we got wish lists from everybody um, in the office of, hey, you know, what, what do you need? Do you need a desktop? Do you need an electric desk? Do you need a, a, a mat? What do you need to be productive? And then supply that to the team. While we reconfigured the space, when, when people started being allowed to come back into the office, to create a safe environment where people could, could work and collaborate. Um, over 75% of our staff is millennial. I think they really enjoy, in general, that that generation enjoys a, a collaboration and, and and working together. And we felt it was important, not just because of what we what we do as a company, but also because of our staff to get them back in the office. So, we spent uh, some time uh, we create we uh, creating what we believe is a safe environment. Um, following the CDC guidelines, we created. Um, created the workspace um, spacing so that everybody had six feet of, of space. We actually created a flex, uh, plexiglass um, barrier that, that is, was installed in, in all workspaces to make sure that, that um, people, people at their desk had, had barriers around them. We also added, added walls uh, to create additional spaces where people could, could either collaborate or work by themselves in, in safe spaces. Um, we uh, we we installed hand sanitizers throughout the building. We used to have um, one kind of culturally, we had a single coffee bar location and it was by design. Our, our CEO, Jason McCann, had uh, felt that that was a good way to break down silos. If everybody had to go get coffee in one place, they you know, you could have conversations with people across the building. We've kind of, we've now created three different areas where people can get coffee, people can sit and eat. We put in man, a, uh, temperature gauge so when people walk through the office there's a their their temperatures automatically recorded as they walk in before the uh, before the employees can can or 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 anybody who's coming in the building can enter the building um, within the building if you're not at your workstation we we require masks so people walking around with masks we've got arrows that are directing people flow of traffic if you're walking through the coffee bar there's only one way to walk through um, you know a lot of a lot of those things that we felt like really created um, a safe environment where people could feel comfortable coming into the office. And then once we started introducing people, we introduced, the, we introduced them slowly and, and have said, you know, hey, if, if anybody has a, has a condition uh, that makes it more risky for them to come to the office, you can continue to work from home. 
the initial people that we brought in, which was initially about 10% of the office came in and those were the massive extroverts who were, were really struggling at working from home. They came in and fully embraced it. And then as we continued to introduce people into the office, you know, what we found was that, you know, obviously the, 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 the last people who adopted it are, 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 generally the most risk averse, right? They're the ones who are saying, hey, look, I'm not sure. So it, it was, I think it was comforting to them as people came in and started sharing their experience to say, hey, you know what, I feel really good here. I feel like this is a safe environment. It, it kind of encouraged people to come in. So um, as of right now, we have about 90% of our staff working inside our building. Um, and, you know, I think as our, our um, as our COO president, Jeff Lamb says, this is the safest place that I will be all day, including my home. So, so I think we've, you know, we've created a, a terrific environment that really encourages collaboration in a pandemic, uh, you know, in, in, in a safe way. Well, that's really great. So is that 90% that's kind of, you know, pretty much in the office eight hours a day, or is that kind of 90% coming in throughout the week? Like, how, how are you measuring that? Yeah, it's 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 daily, um, you know, and, and and look, we've we've we we have to show grace to people, right? This isn't we we aren't stamping our foot down, saying you have to come in the office. And we've had, especially early on, some false starts, right, where people come in the office and they're like, "Whoa, there's a lot of people here," and kind of freaked out a little bit. And we yeah. said, "Okay, go go back home," you know, if you feel, you know. And we've had we've had you know with with school start starts and stops. Um, there's been logistical issues. There's been a lot of things that we've had to. You know, but but I think we've led with grace and said, okay, well, you know, the important thing is, um, you know, we, everybody's going through a different struggle. Let's make sure that we're doing what we can to make sure you can continue to thrive in this environment. That's really great. So I'm going to move over to, to, to Mark. Mark, you, you kind of mentioned the challenges of having all these waxing locations and um, what you've had to do to get you know, your employees back and then also get your customers back. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that process and what that's looked like. Sure, I guess you could say our experience not being primarily with a workforce of associates in the office uh, was a little different. Our office employees uh, by and large are still working from home. But what we, where we really saw our, our challenge was first understanding, which we kind of knew, but uh, anytime you have these things, you do a market uh, study, get to know what your customers need. We had those studies performed and of course, uh, results came back. The number one concern for our guests was safety in our wax suites and how were they gonna feel comfortable that they weren't going to uh, uh, see one of our places as a super spreader location. Uh, we formed a team, we called it Project Scrub um, and uh, we were able to uh, really identify the key elements of having the proper uh, PPE equipment on hand. We really reduced capacity because between each, um, each visit, there's about 15 minutes of time sent, spent uh, in uh, sanitizing the wax suite for the next guest, uh, educating our guests on just the type of um, uh, stuff that's disposed of versus that that's that is sanitized and brand new has been very helpful. And, and even the check-in process. Um, you know, we have uh, in our franchisee centers around the country, we, there's, a, there's a waiting room and uh, we've uh, really converted that process now through our European Wax Center app that you come to the center and you, it's contactless check-in. Uh, you'll, get, you'll get a text when you wait out in your car or outside in the shopping center, and then you'll come in and walk right into the Wax Suite with, uh, 
your associate and, and be served there. So really the only person that our guests are interacting with is going to be the wax associate who's performing the service with them and this day and age with uh, you, you know, the way you can do everything electronically, prepay with your credit card, put the tip on there. It's really made it uh, very appealing to our guests. And what we found is the challenge is getting them back for that very first visit. Uh, very similar to what Craig was just saying. People feel comfortable once they kind of step over that threshold and make that first plunge. And um, with, with wax services, you don't really know if you were successful for about three weeks because you have to wait for the hair to grow back for them to come back and get the, the repeat service performed. We, we have a lot, of, um, a lot of franchisees, as I mentioned. So the other challenge we were faced with is a lot of them are small operators. Um, this, they may only own one or two uh, centers. And so we had to provide some level, we're not the bank and couldn't form the European Wax Center Cares Act. So the best we could do is we, in order to give them a little bit more of a runway, we used our credit terms with them to give them some ability to capture up some uh, more, more cash in the bank. Um, we ran some wax pass promotions where they could sell um, prepaid services, you know, buy nine, get three free and so forth. So they could bring in some money early on we extended our credit terms to 30 days following the first 90 days uh, of reopening, um, not just for our royalties, but also for our marketing fund uh, fees that we were expecting from them. And really the targeted marketing all changed. Um, it was more about safety, uh, why people should come back to the centers and how they could feel good about uh, re returning in a safe environment. It seems to be working well, um, although Capacity has uh, been down, as I mentioned, because of the time we spend in between each visit um, and sanitizing the suites. What we're seeing from our franchisees is there's always other things you can pull a lever on to, uh, quote unquote, shake money out of somebody. So uh, the retail product sales that um, our associates are now selling in the franchise centers has actually increased by about 10% compared to what it was pre-pandemic. We're hoping when everything gets back. Now, that also helps with a little bit of promotional um, uh, spend that we do from a marketing standpoint. But um, between the financial assistance, the promotional dollars we'll throw at it for marketing, uh, the, the measurement on um, safety and education to our franchisees, that's worked pretty well. And then in, in order to pull it all together, since we don't directly control this franchisee network, they're independent operators, we've conducted a lot of online training um, uh, requiring them to attend before reopening because we can pull the license, but we choose, we don't want to, of course, so we've made them all attend our, our safety training protocols. Uh, we've sent out all the materials that we order for them and the, the, the equipment is really ordered centrally by us and shipped to them. And, and we, we supplement that with a group of franchise business consultants around the country who can also answer questions to groups of franchisees and follow up on them. And the ongoing surveys and Yelp and reviews that are done uh, really help us understand if it's working and that our protocols are being followed. So it's really a full circle type of thing you have to do just to bring confidence back to people about safety. And that seems to be the number one thing our guests are, are, are wanting. We think we're delivering on it. And uh, it seems to be you know, working its way back slowly but surely, which is uh, very encouraging. Thanks, Mark. Sounds like you guys have done a great job with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to switch over to Melinda. And um, Linda, I know Worksoft's Experience has been a little bit different. You guys have kind of been able to embrace the work from home setting. Um, can you kind of share what you've done to kind of help 
staff with the transition in that environment and being able to stay professional and productive and connected? Sure, sure. So we already had quite a few people working remote. Some of our software engineers, our sales folks, and then we have a global workforce. So our folks in EMEA were already working remotely. So we were well versed in Zoom, though we didn't really use the video feature. So we've all embraced that. Uh, but what we did at first is we wanted to make sure that everyone had a setup at home that they were comfortable with. We knew not everyone had this perfect setup at home where they could be productive and comfortable. So that was the first thing we said is if you need something, let us know. And uh, so people got desks, they got chairs, you know, we said, we don't want you sitting in your dining room chair. That gets uncomfortable. So if you need a chair, let us know. Take your monitors from the office if you're based at the home office in Dallas. Take whatever you need from the office. We'll figure it out. And then after a few weeks, we, we realized this was going to go on longer than we expected. I think probably most of you, actually, I read back the email that we sent out. We said, we're going to do this to the end of March. Uh, we kind of giggle about that now. But um, so a couple months into it, we realized that people still needed some things. Maybe they were dealing with a webcam that was spotty, or maybe they really never invested in that chair. So we just gave everyone a $250 stipend. It went into their paycheck that they could use however they wanted. If they missed the office snacks, they could go buy some snacks. If they needed the chair, the desk. Uh, we do know some people, Craig, who bought some, you know, standing desks so that they could be more comfortable. And, uh, and, you know, that's been super helpful. We got a lot of really, really good feedback because it was no questions asked. You didn't have to submit a receipt. Just do whatever you needed to. And we really got a lot of good feedback. Um, and then we've also just in, encouraged people to just be human. Uh, we have a weekly coffee chat, coffee chat every Monday morning, and that we've been super intentional about our communication. Um, we, we feel like we're about a 21-year-old startup. Um, our, we have a new CEO that came in in January, so we've been embracing getting him on board. So uh, we, we've heard a lot about that, you know, CEOs coming in the pandemic, you know, one of the things you gotta do is focus on communication. So the coffee chats have been great. Uh, we have certain things that we want to address every week to keep people informed uh, because you don't have those hallway moments. You don't have those water cooler moments. But we've also found some ways to have fun. So here's a tip if you need something fun to do to um, play a trick on somebody. So we have our town hall meeting. We have those once a quarter. And our CEO sits in his office at home. So just think of background like this. Someone took a screenshot of it. And then it fixed it so that, you know, his face wasn't in it. And all of us came onto our town hall yesterday with our Zoom backgrounds <laughs> in his living room. It was hilarious. I highly recommend that as a great takeaway from this. So maybe if you only take away one thing, take away the steal your CEO's background. So, John, watch out. They may be taking your background now. Right. Um, but we've also tried to have some fun. Um, we focused on collaboration. We focused on productivity. Uh, we focused on how can we communicate and give our tools to our employees and help them enjoy what they're doing. How, you know, the cat walking, our CEO's cat walks across his video. It made him very human. Yes, we've had the dogs barking. We've had the kids come up and say, hey, what's going on? But on the flip side, some of the things that I have really embraced as a mom, so I have three kids, um, my setup isn't ideal, but it works. It's in our bedroom. And the kids would just come in and plop in my, sit on my bed and lay down. They might do their own thing, uh, but they could see what I was doing. I've had kids sit and watch me in board meetings. So they've gotten a chance to understand more about what mom does. She just doesn't sit in front of a computer and look at spreadsheets all day. Um, and so I think that's been, for me, something I've really enjoyed is helping my kids understand 
what mom does. And I know my husband feels the same way. He's, uh, he also works. And so we've, we've taken that away as for our kids, um, as a family, we've, we've gotten to enjoy that time, time together. So. That's cool. I've had some of that same experience with my two daughters. They love listening to my conversations and then telling me what I did wrong or right afterwards. So that's uh, like any high school girl, you know, so, yes. but you know, yes. it, it has kind of brought work home and they understand more what I do now. That's for sure. So let's go over to Hans and um, Hans, we know you, you Brinks was kind of impacted by a reduction in staff at the start of the pandemic. Um, just curious, have you faced any kind of residual employee engagement challenges? And if so, how have you um, kind of been able to overcome that? Hey, uh, so the, the, the answer, I mean, actually I cannot give one prescriptive answer for everybody. I mean, because obviously this is across the whole US. Yes, we had a substantial reduction as you will be able, you know, to go into investors' calls. Of the past, we reduced over 25, I mean, 20% of the workforce across the US. That meant, you know, something close to 2,000 people or more, right? So when, when, you, when you ask, did it bring engagement issues? Fact is, in the midst of confusion, what we have seen is unexpectedly uh, a reduction in the turnover. Uh, we have invested substantially in engagement or trying to create or, or to improve the, the potential turnover through town halls, uh, actually, I mean, review of pay, and, and, and many, uh, a pleasure of other activities. This is a company-wide effort. Now, bringing it back to, to something that perhaps is closer to, to what we do in a closer environment, um, the fact that people now do not work uh, in the office, and, and Melinda was, I mean, actually, you hit the nail on, uh, I mean, the nail on the head, is that, that, that informal communication, which accelerates the productivity, because one thing is the formal meeting, but the other one is, hey, I forgot about to ask you that, because once you have 50 people in one room, nobody asked any of things. And that kind of things started to be missed. And, and we realized about that. And what we encouraged to see after providing every known and unknown tool for them to communicate is that they needed that informality. Some groups, to what I've heard, they have been a little bit more, I mean, uh, let's say advanced, and they even hold happy hours, virtual happy hours. You know, they send me pictures, and I'm like, okay, we cannot do it in this office, but. Yes, I mean, actually that kind of engagement actually keeps them, you know, talking about what they need to do. We do provide a formal setup just to actually line up what we need to do. We have to make an effort actually to shift priorities and say this is important and this needs to be done. So before the cycles between asking and asking back, have you done it? We're sort of long, now we're shortening, but we're giving less tasks. And that is a cultural change, at least for brains, right? So now it's less tasks, but more often, rather than a lot of tasks, and let's go and review them afterwards. And, and that, you know, frequency increase actually has created a touch more of engagement. People really feel like, hey, I'm talking more, I, I mean, now, also, one advantage that I'll be seeing is that this whole barrier of one-to-one -one communications 
in large organizations, talking to a high a senior person was something unheard of. That has been broken with the chat, etc. I mean, literally, the, the person at the front door can send a text message to the CEO and say, "Hey, by the way, how? What, that's my opinion of that." That is broken by the use of you know more virtual tools. Because now they don't have to go and step up in the door and passing through, you know, the, the red tape of five personal assistants. So that one of the things that I see good, that, that barrier between the different layers of organization is breaking, you know, given the use of um, virtual tools, if you can call them like that. So besides that, I mean, I think the companies uh, and our company is still working, you know, in creating further changes to engage people. Now, we do have, uh, I mean, mandatory attendance for what it is operational, but when it comes to administrative, you know, we have created, come to the office if you want, because we're still limited by a very reduced percentage of people we can have in the office. So now coming to the office is becoming much more of a luxury because you have to ask for permission rather than a you know you need to come to the office right so that's it for me craig we got a question from the audience i'm going to see if you've got an answer for this but basically um, um is there a time that you can see when you know, either clients of yours or your employees where you would just require them to be back to the office? Um, and if so, when is that time and kind of what factors would you consider in that? That's an interesting question. I, I, I mean, I, I suppose that some businesses could require everybody to come back in the office. I don't, I don't know when that time candidly would be. I think, you know, our focus has been all the way along at how do we flex our space to accommodate whatever whatever the, the, you know, corporate uh, strategy is, right? So if, you know, for, for example, uh, one of our new tenants um, in one of our Verispace buildings, when we signed the lease with them said, we create a turnkey solution. So we're, we're creating everything from, uh, so you walk in, it's move in ready furniture, you know, walls, everything is, is fully furnished. Um, and they, they said to us, could you please do two space plans for us? Could you do a pre or a pandemic space plan with a with a lower employee density, and then once we figure, you know, whatever whatever those, whether it's hey, <laughs> the vaccine, we we have a vaccine in place, we have we have some form of of treatment, whatever those those indicators are, whatever's happening as far as as daily um, in in a certain market, you know, what's the what's the pace at which the COVID's spreading, um, is it dropping? The, you know, whatever those triggers are saying, okay, then we'd like to increase the density of our space. So, so we're working with a lot of our clients to say, okay, can we, can we create a, you know, let's create spaces that you can flex in and out. So maybe you do some hoteling for a little while to your, to your earlier point where you say, okay, we're only going to have a, a space density of three to four to 1000 square feet. And then post pandemic, we're going to ramp it back up to six to seven per thousand square feet. And that's, that's what we're working with our, with our clients on. That's helpful, Craig. Thank you. This may be a good question for Melinda, but really anyone could answer. Has anybody been impacted by your work from home employees changing residences, like moving to a different state? And if so, how have you been able to kind of track that from an accounting payroll tax perspective? Yeah, so we had a, um, one person, I guess, I, I, 
she, her husband was living in Boston. And so she said, well, this is now the time I can finally go move there and we can be in the same city. So we said no problem because we already had employees in Massachusetts. Um, but it goes to what a lot of people are talking about with hiring. And uh, so what we said, because we're going through some hiring right now, and my preference, because I do not want to add and increase our administrative costs, um, but I want to make sure we are seeking the best talent and the most diverse uh, and inclusive talent pool that we can find. Uh, but we'll focus on let's hire where we already have a presence so that we're not just increasing and having to go file in more states because we now have employees there or we've potentially opened up more risk uh, by doing that. So we haven't had a lot of people ask, but we do have people who have moved, who were more urban in Dallas, who have moved to be uh, further out and gone to the country. So some, you know, taking advantage of that, or they've gone and worked remote to their beach house or their mountain house or rented a place um, and done that just on a temporary basis, which, which we're fine with doing. I'm going to switch a little bit kind of more to the operational pivots that um, each one of your companies has had to kind of undertake. Um, Hans, I'll start with you. Um, it, you know, not all organizations have kind of been able to transition back to the to normal or the new normal. Several obstacles still exist, um, especially in your business of moving cash and payment solutions. So, how have operations at Brink shifted since the shutdown and what new processes are being implemented as a result of this change? So I will start talking about <clears throat> what is the environment? I mean, like uh, we, we serve every location where a customer might have cash. They have changed requesting certain protocols they have changed, you know, seeing how the cash is being handled. I know many of you might hear, hey, by the way, nobody wants to deal with cash, we will deal with credit card. Uh, fact is, it's not like that. In the economy, you know, a sizable percentage of transactions, you know, are made in cash. So that part didn't reduce for us. Still, you know, wherever we go, we still need to pick up cash, but now we're facing customers with a plethora of protocols, you know, for us to obey, which by the way, I mean, this is a volume business, so it became a hurdle that we needed to, to, to go through from training, from actually preparing the PPE equipment, and also, you know, the operational cost it has. Conversely, we also need, I mean, we, part of our strategy is first take care about safety. I mean, we transfer money, so safety is quite an issue. So how do, how do we ensure that our employees are not exposed? And that shift, I really have to say, it was you know very, very, very uh, performed swiftly, and you know to the point in which training, PPE, etc., is followed to the dot because literally we put the lives of people at risk, and that has been you know not a cultural shift and strengthening of the culture that we deal with. Uh, one of the main obstacles we're facing is customers, not necessarily, because obviously everybody's looking for, you know, savings here or not, are, are willing to share the cost for both sides, from one side, from them to getting a providing, getting into the office, you know, maybe a I mean, from every person or somebody of brings going up, you know, and serving their cash needs, 
and also from our end, you know, how much are we willing to absorb the cost, you know, of the customer imposing to us. So just to give an example, now I think if you go to any store, they ask you the mask. Can you imagine, you know, the requirements that we get since we go every day? They ask mask, they ask us to wait, and so forth. So once you, you reach, once, once that happened, how do you roll that out in a very short time for the thousands of customers that a company like Brim has? That has been the biggest challenge. And, um, and I think operations, um, and, and, and one of the things that I mentioned, they did it, uh, they did it, and they're still doing that, because they have reshifted their priorities. They know that this is the most important thing to do, rather than, I don't know, all those projects that we have for a strategy 2020 to 2025. So that became one of the largest projects to adapt to the current situation, to keep the customers, and also to keep the cash running. By the way, we all need cash. I guess I'm talking to everyone, <laughs> right? So, that's what we're doing, and, and I believe uh, also that um, we will still continue to do this, not only before, in the middle, and after, uh, and after, you know, people think we are recovering. I mean, I think this is a shift for the company to, that is going to stick forever. But like I said, it became a priority amongst the pleasure of projects that we used to have in the past and they did it very well. I mean, I'm actually very happy to announce that uh, in, in percentage-wise, actually the risk for people being contracting COVID has not been anything that will scare people, right? So, that's good. That's very good. That's good. All right, Melinda, let's go back to you because you mentioned um, that you've had a, quite a bit of growth and um, hiring is still happening. And so how have you kind of handled that growth in, in this environment and maybe talk to us a little bit about that from the client and employee side? Sure. So we are part of a company's digital transformation efforts. So we enable them along that digital transformation journey and start looking how do they automate processes again from discovery and to all the way to, to the RPA side. At, so we had to internally look and see what can we do to improve. So part of that is training companies on our platform and how to use it. So that was delivered in person. Companies still wanted people at the front of a classroom teaching them, but we had already determined that it was important to look for a pivot there and had started pushing forward a digital platform for companies to learn more about our solutions and do training online. And obviously with COVID, everything stopped immediately. So that pushed forward that effort to train our customers and now there's more on-demand training and other things happening where they can find how to use our solution and be a little bit more powerful in doing that. Um, and our consultants have also embraced being able to work through these Zoom discussions or whatever platforms uh, everyone is using. Uh, so we had to embrace that very quickly. Um, but then on the hiring side, you mentioned we are hiring people. Uh, we've had just four people start just in the last couple of weeks. So we had to look at how can we scale that how can we make it easy for um, candidates to come through the recruiting process? How can we onboard them effective, effectively and efficiently and make it a really good experience? So that's what we want to focus on is 
the candidate experience and then the employee experience when they joined us. So we, uh, like I mentioned, we're 21-year-old startups. So we had to go back and reinvent some processes. Uh, either they weren't defined or they can be improved. So we really focused on a structured hiring process. What did we want the candidate experience to look like? And where did we need people involved along the way? And we have put that as much as we can in a digital space. So using LinkedIn recruiter, using, we do have a few spreadsheets we use just to manage the process. And that way we can tell the candidates what they're expecting to see. Uh, we've done panel interviews, which I think are less intimidating in a Zoom environment than they are when you're in a conference room and you've got several people that you're trying to communicate with and understand and have a discussion with about a potential job. So we, we like the panel interview experience. We have found it's a lot actually easier to get people to um, come for interviews because you're not, you don't have the travel time. And we've been able, as I mentioned earlier, expand our reach and look at people who may be not in just in Dallas for worth. And then we've also been very intentional about our onboarding. We took that time to say, what can we do better or different to have a good experience? I guess I won't be walking the halls and shaking hands with people. So we have said, uh, we have a, a set way that everyone should be onboarding their employees. And then you can customize it based on that position. Um, and today, actually, so after this, I'll be doing my very first uh, onboarding session. So we've gone to where we have um, everyone who's a new hire go through a half day of training and learning about the different departments, learning about the company. Uh, before we had individual meetings and felt obviously it was better to bring people together. I think many of you have started in your career at some point and you still remember who you started with. So we wanted to create that experience of having a start class, even if you maybe started a couple of days apart or, or whatnot. But uh, we, yeah, we took this opportunity to say what processes need improvement and how, to, how do we put that into a more digital format uh, and make it more automated and have a better, again, the idea of being focused on having a better employee or candidate experience. Yeah, I know back in March when we were, when we sent over 800 people, you know, to go work virtually. And I, for those first two weeks, I could hardly sleep. And you're thinking about, you know, how do we interview everybody remotely? How do we onboard remotely? How do we run internships remotely? Um, yeah. And, but you, we've learned so much through it. And you, you learn that some things don't work near as well, right? right. We, we yeah. did a big manager, senior manager training virtually, and it was, you really missed the interaction of those people getting to know each other across offices. But then, you know, some things um, like the onboarding process have worked fine. So mm -hmm. you know, again, it's forced us to learn and figure out which, which one is better. So thanks, right. Melinda. Um, Mark, I want to go to you on the communication side and just, I can only imagine from the employees to the clients to all the franchise owners how you've had to change your communications. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, you're on mute, Mark. Sorry about that. Um, as you can imagine, when you have a um, over you know 750 uh, centers around the country and um, all individually owned. Um, we like to say we're a franchiser, but sometimes it's more like herding cats. And um, <laughs> we, you know, many of them not very sophisticated in what they do um, and need, always need a little bit more help and, and guidance. And, you know, going back to March and April timeframe when the CARES Act came out, meant there was so much information coming out from everywhere. I, I think we felt probably not much different than how, how you felt, John, and all the 
advice you were giving to all your many clients on what to do in the CARES Act, what are your options, which bank do you talk to, what forms do you need, what's the documentation, and um, it can be kind of overwhelming when you're a small business. So we really, with the help of our uh, private equity sponsor, because um, you know they have many <laughs> investments, and so uh, all the portfolio companies were going through the very same thing, we put together a whole communication strategy, again, with our franchisees, more training sessions, uh, not unlike this webinar on, on how do you go through the, uh, the PPP loan application. Uh, we, um, as an example, most of our franchisees will get uh, small business administration loans when they start up their business. And so there is you know, one or two banks that do most of those uh, administration of those SBA loans for our network which was really helpful for us because we could leverage that, that banking relationship for our network. So and while the whole world was all running to every banker they might not have known, uh, those that had the relationships with uh, banks were able to at least get them to look at the application and push it through uh, sooner rather than later um, and, and get, get it in when, uh, kind of like Cinderella, when the clock struck midnight and you were allowed to present it. So there was a lot of communication there. And, and then it, was, it did stop there, of course, because once they got this money, even though it has a specific purpose for, for payroll as well, um, you know, you get back to the blocking and tackling of you really need to have your budget. You need to know what your, or your forecast at this point, your balance sheet, your cash flow statement, your income statement, and build it up week by week. And we've really always had this type of tool available to our franchisees. Um, to really design their model based on sales revenue and, and pull all the levers to control their costs. So a lot more training again on how to put this together and our review of their work. And we have a portal where they all put their actual results in on a monthly basis into this uh, application we have. And it compares the common KPIs across similar stores in similar areas so they can see how they're doing and get immediate feedback on their results. So really a lot of um, financial training for our franchisees that I, I think suddenly what happens in a pandemic like this is the importance of a strong financial foundation and understanding what you need comes to the forefront. And, and I, it's been better for our network to have that. Um, as far as our customers go, um, the marketing team really stepped up and it was deciding what do our customers need. We talked. I talked a little earlier about uh, safety was important, but still some haven't didn't quite come back right away. And there is a point once people get over the safety a little and we think they, they're getting there, uh, they become, you know, as marketing folks use the term, they're corn operated. So what's the best way of bringing them back? Do you offer those guests that haven't been coming $10 off or 20% off and figuring out the levers and what's the most effective strategy to get people to come back not and explain the safety to them? and at what price will encourage them to return. So a lot of that kind of communication has been going on and it's really still um, teaching our franchisees how to better run their business, uh, add this other uh, skill to their toolkit of not just operating, but also uh, really understanding the financial implications of their decisions even better. And from our marketing standpoint, we feel we've been able to help our guests um, understand why it's good to come back, uh, what the benefits are, and uh, give them a good price deal to kind of return so we can get that, uh, that business rolling for them again. So it's all around safety and it's gonna be that way for quite a while. And I think that 
has colored everything that we're all doing in all our businesses right now. It's, it's, it's safety first, and then how safe can you make it so it's a reasonable level of safety? Because nothing's guaranteed, unfortunately. So that's where we are. Thanks, Mark. Probably very similar to you, right? <laughs> very similar, yes. Um, we've gotten a couple questions kind of on post post-pandemic office environments and lease renewals and those kinds of things. So I want to go back to, to Craig. Um, obviously it's, you know, pretty interesting decisions that companies are going to have to make and kind of what, what factors they should consider and what advice you're giving with, you know, regards to kind of traditional office space and then post-pandemic, um, what that might look like and what advice you're giving. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, even pre-pandemic, uh, JLL had said had issued a, a paper where they projected that by 2030, that 30% of all commercial office space would be flexible workspace. So, um, I think that there's, you know, th that that can meet a variety of things. Um, co-working, obviously, being the, the the most prevalent and the most well known. Um, you know, Melinda, Melinda, we're, as we're talking, as we're getting ready, she was talking about, hey, you know, our, you know we, we have a lease that's expiring. We're trying to figure out what we do, right? So I think, I think in the short run, I think, and, and in the long run, I think flexibility becomes increasingly more important. Um, you know, in in a in an economy, you know, we're walking into probably a recession. We can argue over how long that's going to last, but as we walk into a recession, I think people look and say, "Hey, I I, I don't want to I don't want to commit myself to a long term lease." And all the upfront capital that goes into the TI, um, and, and I and I need flexibility. Um, in a good economy, as you expand, you're saying, "Well, I'm expanding, but I don't know what that looks like in three to five years, so I need flexibility." So I think I think it's going to become more prevalent. You know, our our and that's really why we created our Verispace concept was to to give people a, a space as a service um, enterprise turnkey solution where people can move into a space on a shorter term lease um, without. You know, without paying the same price per square foot that you would in a traditional co-working environment, and and I don't think I think, you know, it, you know I think it's 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 not just within the space, and you know, making sure you have flexibility with, with your with your furniture solutions to be able to ramp up and ramp down, but it's also just in trying to create more flexibility with with your lease terms, and I think that a lot of commercial office. Uh, commercial real estate companies are in, in commercial and land landlords are trying to figure out, you know, what what is the the, the secret sauce here that 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 can allow me to provide shorter term leases to people who need them. Thanks, Craig. I'm just going to ask each one of the panelists to kind of give us their their number one positive that they think has has come out of this pandemic environment. Um, I'll actually start on this one because I've joked with people. I've been my fifth year as the CEO managing partner of Weaver. And after the fourth year, first of all, I was nervous to take the job. But after the fourth year, I thought, man, I, I kind of got this job. Then 2020 hit. <laughs> um, and I thought, boy, don't ever tell yourself that maybe until you like after retirement. But one piece of advice that I'm pretty proud that I gave our partners early on was the CFO CAOs of these organizations are going to be lifted and they're going to be in the spotlight you know, for the entire organization to forecast cash, financial health, um, project confidence to the employees and the investors and the clients. And so as a professional service firm, you really have to be there for the controllers, CFOs, CAOs. Um, and the more advice and the more new information that comes out, and the more that you can help them, the more loyalty you're going to create. And um, I think our partners have done a good job and we've kind of seen it in our 
referrals from clients, um, our client satisfaction surveys. And so we've, we've been proud of that. So that's been a, a big positive that's come out of a really stressful situation for Weaver. Um, so I'll start with, with Melinda. What's, what's the, the one big positive that's come out? With, with, and, and I'm giggling because it, the dogs are now, you know, keeping me protected from the killer squirrel that is apparently about to come in my house. So, um, so that is, the, yeah. okay. so it, like, just at that moment. Um, you know, so I, I go back to the human side. I, I think that we have built some relationships, even though they've been through video, um, that really have created loyalty between our management team and our employees. Uh, that we have found a way to connect and really put at the forefront what's important to our employees to keep them engaged, to keep them happy, to focus on what what they've got going on at home. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from that. And from the positive side is to just remember that when someone's coming into work that day, even if it's on Zoom, for all you know, they have the kids sitting next to them who's struggling with homework, or they've got the dog, or they're caring for an elderly parent, or they're just worried about catching the virus. And so I think that as a management team has been really helpful for us. Um, and it's always just good to remember that human side because I spend all day looking at numbers and keeping focused on our people has really helped me get through this. Cool. Hans, how about you, biggest positive? No different at all to what has been mentioned. I mean, the human side, I think that, like I just said, the barriers have, I mean, are breaking. The use of these tools allow me or have allowed, you know, my team to interact across the board, you know, different levels. And that have brought several ideas. Um, as you mentioned, John, as well, it, it uh, made us grow. Any challenge made, make the people grow, you know, and, and learn bring to yourself to the point that it says there is nothing we know all the things i mean we know a little bit of accounting i would expect from this group but management thinking that we know the business is challenged every year uh perhaps a tad too much this one but it's something that keeps us in our toes and five years from now as managers we will look back and say okay I went to the 90s crisis, I went to this, and I passed the, the COVID. And, and, and that makes, you know, some, a huge, a huge difference to uh, our professional development. And, and that's what I tell my people. All of this is something that in the future will differentiate, you know, perhaps our generation, not for saying we're getting old, from other professionals. I mean, the more crisis, the stronger we are. I really hope to go through unblemished out of this one, but yes, that's, that's what I, I will give as an advice to everybody. Take this as a better experience and improvement to your resume, because all the problems at the end have a solution. That's great. Thanks, Hans. Mark, how about you? Well, you know, it's, um, I think the theme we're all talking about is pretty similar. This, um, this year has been about adapting um, and a whole necessity is the mother of invention, so to speak. Um, as far as like our corporate office goes, I, I just can't imagine uh, it going back to what it was before where everybody's coming into the office every day. Those, those days are, um, at least in our organization, uh, really gone forever. It's, it's what's the workplace of the future going to look like? And uh, 
I can see more uh, what's the reason when you have to come in in a team environment for collaboration and the you know to embrace this change I think we have to look at there, there's some benefits now. I don't have to have my uh, associates who work with me living here in, uh, in Dallas or in Texas. They can live anywhere in the country and still work remotely. And I think we've proven that works. Um, I know we're running short on time and there's others who want to share, but I think that's the general theme that we're seeing. Um, we'll see more of this and uh, we'll continue to evolve as companies and uh, couldn't have done this years ago without the, the type of technology that we all have right now. And, yeah. We knew cloud-based was going to take on as well as it has and how we'd all embrace it the way we do. Yeah, true. Thanks, Mark. All right, Craig, I, you got like 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so from, from in, in it really quickly, I think communication. I think, I think through this pandemic, I think our, it started with our CEO, Jason McCann, regularly keeping people engaged on Zoom meetings and, and waterfalling that through the organization. And I think that we, I thought we were really good at corporate communication before. I think that we're even better now and we have more tools at our disposal to do that. So I think that's been really, really um, great in, in, in keeping our employees engaged and rowing. Thanks, Craig, Hans, Mark, Melinda. Uh, another positive is I've gotten to know you guys over the last two weeks. Thank you for your time. I know you're really busy. If there's anything that I can ever do for um, any one of the four of you, please don't hesitate to call me. And uh, glad to get to know you. Hopefully we'll uh, see each other in person sometime.